Sentinel World sucking in 3D. Wait, that's not 3D. That's stereo. Yeah, <laughs> my mistake. It's Sunday, Sunday, September 28th. Wait, this isn't the right calendar. Son of a bitch. It's Sunday, September 30th. This is episode 8 of Sentinel World. It's called Take Me Out Back and Shoot Me. Now, why would I be saying that? I'll tell you why. I am a technical guy. I am a highly trained computing professional. I've been doing this since I was a small child, a wee, wee child. <coughs> Excuse me. Whoa. Hey, where'd my voice go? Hello? Testing. Testing. <coughs> Bloody hell. How am I supposed to do a podcast when I can't talk? Testing. One, two. Oh, this is terrible. I can't do a rant. I was all set up for a rant. I had a beautiful rant all queued up. All right. I'm going to move the microphone away. Now we swish a little bit of saliva around the throat and check one, check one. All right, we're back on the air. So, yeah, I have been doing computery stuff for a very long time, and I've been doing computery tech support as a result not long since that. It's normally easy stuff like, hey, can you fix my printer? Or more recently, hey, my CD writer doesn't work. Sometimes it's my internet's kind of scary. Sometimes it's... I need help buying a computer. It's random stuff. And once in a while, it's a little bit more sophisticated. I mean, back in the day when I was doing the uh, full-scale C programming, it was pretty cool. I I really knew my stuff, and and a friend of mine gave me a call. He was working on positron emission tomography in the biomedical engineering building. I was working on telecommunications routing, and about three sentences into, hey, I've got this problem, and he started talking, and about three sentences in, I told him, look for a line that looks like this, that's your problem. Here's why, here's what you need to do to fix it. I didn't I didn't even need the whole thing, it just, I knew it, I could tell, it's that kind of space. So, I'm used to helping out people with programming problems, but they have to know how to program. This is important, because otherwise, you get to the point where, Okay, they've come to me for help, but it's going to take time. I mean, either I have to teach them what to do, or I have to do it for them, and it's really not clear what my options are. If it's somebody at work, well, depending on how much I like them, I'm either going to help them or not, and how much I'm going to help them was also determined by that. But what happens when the phone rings and, you know, a favored family friend calls you up because his kid needs help? So, I spent an hour listening to a young man who I'm still not completely convinced is in full possession of his mental faculties work on CS 101, Computer Science 101 Intro to Programming. Um, And he doesn't get it. I'm afraid he really doesn't get it. Or if he does, he gets it for short periods of time, like about, oh, halfway through the program that he's typing. And, like I said, he's a nice kid, not entirely there, and after an hour I excused myself to go to dinner, which wasn't strictly true, but was true enough, and now he's emailing me with questions, and, you know, what do I do? 
I don't have time to do CS101. I don't want to do an intro to computer programming. Well, okay, I might, but I don't want to do it in detail. I certainly don't want to reteach the course. I don't want to be a tutor. I don't have time for the things I do need to do. This is not that. So that's my rant. I, I don't really like helping people. No, that's not true. I love helping people. I don't like taking a lot of time to help people. No, wait, that's not true either. I mean, I don't like wasting my time helping people. That's it. I don't like throwing my time into something only to have it be pointless. Like this kid, I, I told him to go through and basically there there's a style thing. You know, if you if you open a bracket, you close the bracket. Except in programming, your close bracket may come pages later, and it's usually very hard to remember which close bracket has to do with which open bracket. So you make a note. You basically say, hey, I'm closing this thing I did over here, and it makes it very much easier to figure out what's going on. And I told him to do that, and it's only a 100-line program, and he still was having trouble. And he sent it to me, and I've, I've solved everything but these two lines, and it says what the problem is. The fact that he can't figure it out when it says what the problem is and when I've told him where to look says it's going to be a very long semester. And I don't know what my obligation is because, you know, the guy who's asking me for help for his kid is a long-standing family friend, very closely regarded by my parents and, frankly, by me, and I don't want to let him down, but what's he asking me for? Is he asking me to, you know, give his kid just somebody to ask questions? Is he asking me to make his kid pass? I don't know. At this point, it would actually be faster to just do the kid's assignment for him. And in some cases, that's not unreasonable. I mean, you give me three or four examples of how to do stuff in a language, and I'll learn the language. But I don't think this is that. I don't think he's got nearly enough experience for that to be an issue. It makes for a very uncomfortable upcoming period of time. And... Since I don't know how to get out of it politely, I'm channeling it as best I can, but it's still, it just, just as his name lights up in my mailbox, please shoot me. He's not a bad kid. I think I said that. He's just... Have you watched Robot Chicken? You know the little nerdy kid in that? He's that. Except with with a little bit of, um, I don't know, just, just a touch of autism or a touch more than well, say, someone like me would have, because I'm perfectly normal and rational, and you can depend on me, right? Yeah. Okay, so, um, that was a rant. That was the shoot-me part. Now, the other part of my highly prophetic subject is the Outback. Now that, that is the sound of me on a didgeridoo. Or, if you're not familiar with the Australian instrument, it's the sound of a Canadian bull moose wanting a little action for Friday night. No, I mean, that is about the extent of my talents on a dig. Um, that is a concert D minor dig, apparently. I'm not sure how you get a D minor on a didgeridoo, seeing as it is one note, and a D minor is a chord, 
perhaps it meant to say D flat, but I don't have a keyboard hooked up to be able to test that theory. In any case, concert D minor. Now, I can only get a short note going on that, and I couldn't get a good recording of, of the uh, harmonics that you can kind of get on the didgeridoo. I'll try again later, perhaps, but... My challenge is that I can't do circular breathing, and circular breathing is the key to the didgeridoo. Circular breathing is a absolutely remarkable technique where you inhale while you exhale. It sounds pretty brutal, but it's actually not all that hard to do. If you get a straw, you could probably pull it off yourself. You basically trap air in your mouth, and as you're blowing out, or not really blowing out, as you're kind of compressing your cheeks to cause air to come out, you're inhaling. And like I said, try it. It's not as hard as it sounds. The difficulty comes with the didgeridoo because you've got to push a lot more air. I mean, it's if you think about it, it's a trumpet without the brass. You kind of pucker up and make a little raspberry sound and, and hope it carries. And if it doesn't, well, then you get something like this. And let me tell you, you're really glad that you didn't get a good audio recording of the particularly wet, strangly noise that I made as I kind of lost the position that my jaw was supposed to be in. Um, yeah. Actually, a little bit later on that is me dying of laughter because it went so tragically wrong. Unfortunately, I did try to get a better recording of it by putting the microphone at the muzzle of the didge, and it's loud, even with the volume turned all the way down, it saturates the microphone, which is kind of cool on the one hand, but not so cool on the other when I'm trying to actually capture the effect. Anyway, I don't know. It, it's an interesting hobby, I guess. I don't practice much. I still sort of try to just get the sound effect while I'm sitting at my desk at work or wandering around. It's... I can kind of do it, I just can't really get enough force, and the one thing that I haven't figured out from the videos anyway is whether or not it's like a long exhale or a short exhale. It's got to be short, because you really only have like a half second or something in which to draw breath, so I think it's going to be a lot like, you know, kind of gasping to pull in the air and, and blowing out with the kind of a noise. And that's as far as I figured it out. I've even got a How to Play the Didgeridoo CD, which sounds a lot like a guy playing a didgeridoo, and I don't know if this is apparently immediately obvious to anybody else, but it was not immediately obvious to me until I actually got my hands on the CD that the sound of someone playing the didgeridoo is not informative as far as how to play it. The lovely woman who sold me my didge taught me to play the one note, and I, of course, did wonderfully with the one note, and she said, oh yeah, circular breathing's easy, it comes comes naturally, and I assume that's the trick that they get the tourists with. Anyway, here's the other piece. That... Oops, gotta get the microphone back in position. That is the sound of a rain stick. It's a very beautiful rain stick, probably around six feet tall with uh, silver worked around it and a little gecko on the head of the staff and um, scroll work going all the way down. 
It's an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous piece, and unfortunately I pretty much had to have it from the moment I saw it, because I'm an idiot that way. <laughs> I have weird, weird things for no good reason, but it made me happy. Just the, the sheer aesthetic of it made me brilliantly happy. And granted, I'm not a very good player of this thing as an instrument, I can't get one long protracted rain noise, but I'm constantly amazed at how much I can kind of get it to go without ever switching sides. You know, you don't have to switch from... All, all the pieces haven't gone down to one end. I don't actually know what's inside. The fable that came with it was kind of interesting. It's basically the uh, aborigine who built it took it out into the into the wild, into the outback, and he communed with the gods and stuck it in the sand, and they ceremoniously anointed it with lightning, which crystallized and caramelized the inside and somehow makes it different from the standard rain stick, which just has a bunch of pegs or cactus needles punched in and little bits of beans or beads to give you that beautiful sound. On the other hand, does sound pretty good. So, you know, go, go, Australian Aborigine gods. Great rain stick, guys. Thanks. Yeah, okay, that sounded about as tacky as I halfway expected it to. They say the Aborigines are much good at predicting weather than the, the white man, if you'll pardon the phrase. Although there's a lovely joke I just heard on the radio on this topic, um, they went to the they went to the Aborigine, the old the oldest guy in the community, and they told him, "Hey, listen, you know, what's the winter going to be like this this year?" Now the old guy, he he, you know, nice codger and everything, but he didn't know much about weather. He he'd been raised in uh, an orphanage, hadn't been brought up in the old ways. He didn't know any of this stuff, so he had to fake it. So he said, yeah, yeah, going to go on a walkabout. Gonna let me think about it, and I'll, I'll get back to you. So he wandered out of town, wandered out over to the next town, where he promptly found himself a phone, called the National Weather Service, and said, what's the weather like? What's the weather going to be like? And the service said, well, uh, we, we think it's going to be a cold winter. And so he went back, and he said, yeah, yeah. Uh, you better start gathering wood. It's going to be a cold winter. And a couple of weeks later, they were gathering wood and pretty productive. And you think we got enough there, Uncle? What, what do you think? And the old man went out into the woods again. They were all nodding sagely because, yeah, yeah, the old man's going to commune with the gods. And he went over to the next town where he called the uh, National Weather Service and asked him, So, uh, what's the weather forecast like now? And and the the guy on the phone said, "Well, it's gonna be bloody freezing, mate." And he he went back to the village and needed to you know faced up to the crowd and told them, "Hey, you know it's gonna be really cold. Gather more wood. Gather more wood." So they went out and gathered more wood. And after a while, they're getting tired. So it's like, "You think this is enough wood, Uncle?" So he went off into the woods again and through to the next town, called him up and said, Hello, how's the weather going to be this 
how's the weather going to be? What's the winter like? And and the old man was staggered when when the weather service said, "Oh, it's going to be bloody freezing, mate." And they said, and so he said to them, "How cold do you think it's going to be?" Oh, well, we don't know, but the bloody Aborigines are gathering wood like crazy. I apologize. I can't actually remember my Australian accent such as it is. I mean, there are little bits of it that I can remember, just the kind of questioning quality. Um, it's a very pleasant accent in a way. It's a very harsh accent in others. It's, it's an interesting mix, and I miss it terribly. Isn't that odd? I'm homesick for a place that wasn't technically home, but i got to go back there sometime. Um, and I'm and I'm actually really really glad that I bought brought souvenirs. I just there are very few places that have affected me quite as much. Um, my didge has a story to it too. There's a painting of the turtle god. It's actually a big knobby piece of wood, and the knobs are painted into turtle shells, and it has to do with a turtle who basically was transformed into a man. Gosh, I've actually forgotten the story, the fable. I've got it written down. I wanted to make a point of not losing it, but I'm embarrassed to report that I can't think of it right now. I'll have to come back to it. And sadly, both of these things are things that really don't translate well. I mean, they're both acoustical pieces, so you'd think they'd translate to speech, to recording really great, but the one of them just doesn't convey the kind of solidity, the presence that a didge has. And the rain stick, the rain stick sounds like frying bacon when you record it, quite frankly, because you just, I don't have the capability to record it in stereo the way it needs to be. It's not a noise, it's a noise moving, because each of those beads or crystals or whatever they are that's traveling through the stick starts at the top and ends at the bottom, so there's this entire Doppler shift of sound moving through the stick. So it it truly is something like a rainstorm where, you know, you kind of get the sound of it in the air first, that little bit of tension, and then, you know, rustling through the leaves before it hits hits the ground. It's a very organic, very tangible, kinesthetic, no, not kinesthetic, vestibular, a very vestibular kind of a sense. It's absolutely beautiful. It's one of the most beautiful things I can claim to own. I wish I could share it with you better than I have. Ah, there's nothing for it. You'll just have to come over. Um, okay, first I gotta get a place. Then you come over. That's a whole other story. Getting more and more homeless as I go. It seems that the uh, old country, as it were, the places from which I hie, they've come down with a bit of a fever, a blood fever. Um, not not the fatal kind, not, not like an Ebola or something, but it's a pretty nasty flu, and I haven't been able to find a lot about it, although there seems to be a de facto moratorium on travels from here to there right now, just most of the family is staying put because the family there is suffering. There, There's a fever, there's a lot of pain, agony in the joints, agony in the bones, agony, you know, just, just body pains, and 
Then it kind of passes after a couple of miserable weeks, and then it comes back. And the worst part is, it certainly seems to be bloodborne, and there's plenty of mosquitoes in that neck of the woods, so right now the situation's just too hot. And the idea of that is trying, because, you know, it's not my home, but it it's home. It's home in a completely different way. It's it's home to my blood. It really is. It isn't my personal place, but it's a place I'm connected to. It's a place I recognize, even though it isn't really mine. And I... I'm sorry, I'm struggling with this. I just... I've always been aware that I'm going to lose it. I don't really see all that much of a choice, but I'm just not tied so much to there. The people who connect me to it are my grandmothers and my uncles and aunts, my parents' siblings, and even them slightly less than my grandparents'. And as everyone ages and as they get older, I know that the strands are going to get cut one by one. And, I mean, even my dad, he he doesn't like going home. Pardon me, just needed a drink. He doesn't like going home. He, He doesn't like the noise and the dust of it. It isn't... It isn't first world enough for his tastes. He likes the clean and the facilities and the amenities. It, it's much, much better than there. It truly is, at least in in a lot of ways that are important, at least to us. And he's said aloud that even though he's got siblings, even though he's got an array of nieces and nephews who are very important to him and that he puts a great deal of effort towards taking care of, he wouldn't go back if his mother wasn't there. I know he's not kidding because given the amount of travel required to get there, he's still willing to go for only a week. Um, I've tried that once. It took a chunk out of me, quite frankly. I don't think I'd do that again. I don't think I'd really... Well, okay, I would do it again if that was the only option I had, but I think my ideal visit would be about three weeks because it gives me enough time to just sit on my ass. And believe me, when you're on a vacation, sitting on your ass is important. When you're swamped with obligations to visit and to pay your respects, it's a pretty intense kind of a journey. So, you know, he's kind of ready to call it quits and if he's not traveling and my mom's getting older and probably going to have a harder time traveling then it's going to be hard for me to go because I I'm illiterate it's an agonizing experience to be perfectly honest I'm absolutely illiterate in my parents tongue I mean I can speak it um but I've got fragments of a lot of languages just not really a lot of functionality. Um, It's kind of a lonely thought, and it's one that I thought I had 
some more years to kind of acclimatize myself to, but if this condition persists, I think there will be something of a more protracted gulf, I think. I think that the end of a sort comes now. I think that's one of my secret terrors, plagues and the like. When I was a kid, they used to tell me that no, they didn't even tell me. I used to read. I used to read all these science books and general knowledge and trivia and just just geeky little things. And I loved them. I absolutely just adored them. I couldn't get enough. And of course, you know, parents wanting to make their kid all knowledgeable and smart had no problems feeding this kid's appetite. My favorite books were the How and Why Wonder Books. They apparently exist today, although not much more than eBay fodder. And I just... The the common refrain was this, this thing of how modern science had defeated all these ancient trials and tribulations like disease and and hunger and stuff, but how there was a limit, how the future offered some significant challenges because as bacteria, for example, get acclimatized to things like penicillin and, and such, then you got to throw stronger, stronger antibiotics at, at them and then they get acclimatized to that. So we throw something even stronger at it. And unfortunately, you know, we only came up with penicillin as a species. We only came up with it as a treatment program, what, 200 years ago? Something like that. And that's out of the entire span of human existence, and now we're reaching the end somewhat of, of our capabilities because now even the big guns are starting to not work with things like staph infections at the hospital. Staph PH, by the way, not FF. Um, the nurses are on their own. My apologies. And it's just kind of a frightening idea, and it becomes more and more tangible with things like SARS, which SARS hit Toronto, so it's a very personal awareness of that. And things like the avian flu that we kind of exist in, in fear of, or things like Ebola, which there's an outbreak right now that they're trying to contain, and it's absolutely nasty. And the interconnectedness of, of societies now is equally kind of frightening, because travel changes your perspective. It really takes you out of seeing one place and takes you to the point where you start looking at how things are connected or it's one more thing that drives you towards that pattern of thought and one of the things that I struggled with for example when I was commuting regularly was I flew from I believe it was Seattle. I'm not entirely sure. I can't remember. From Seattle to Montreal to visit the babies. And for a while, I was seriously considering canceling my trip because I was just so completely anxious when I thought about the possibility of 
of carrying a bug. I mean, I just the idea of a flu scares me. I mean, can you imagine bringing that home to your kids or to your to your loved ones and and the feeling of responsibility if it was something that was big as opposed to little and you're spending 3 or 4 hours in a poorly oxygenated can rebreathing atmosphere that's been circulated over and over again and and it's just so easy to transmit some of these things basic hygiene is not what it used to be and it's not like the airlines go out of their way to help us anyway like i said it's something of a terror that we're coming back to you know drug resistant tb and drug resistant staph infections and drug resistant this and drug resistant that and viruses that we have no grip on no treatment on no vaccine for and it's not abnormal either i mean as the population goes up things happen to bring it back down and either there will be some major event or there won't be statistically though it's pretty likely that something will happen i don't mean to be so serious i apologize i just kind of segued into something that i wasn't expecting they hit and there's a lot of grief there it's getting late i mean it's not even this month anymore i should probably go so i'm going to bid you a good night or a good morning i mean this is the outback episode and it is tomorrow in australia although like i said it's also tomorrow here now but it's still yesterday somewhere so today is still appropriate to say on this because you don't know exactly when i finished except for what i tell you have a good night take care i love you This has been Sentinel World.